You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Good morning, Livestream family. Welcome to Crossroads Community Church. Livestream, we're so excited to be with you. And uh, if you got our text reminder, uh, we're going to be making an announcement at the end of today's service, letting you know about some details uh, as to when our church is going to be reopening and what reopening looks like. So please make sure that you hold uh, your steadfast till the end of the service so that we can get you those announcements and details. I don't know about you, but I am so excited to get back to normal church. And uh, I know that we've been redefining what normal means. So let me define it just for a moment. When the body of Christ is gathered at one place again, that's what I am looking forward to. So make sure that you stay tuned for that. Um, Although today is Pentecost Sunday and I am Pentecostal proud, Holy Spirit proud, uh, we are not going to be talking about Pentecost today. We're going to be saving it for a later series. Here's why. uh, I just felt like in my spirit that the the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that I want to do in person with the body of Christ gathered at one place so that we can have an all Alter time praying over the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as well, uh, anytime you talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of questions and understandably so. So I would like to answer any questions in person. So we're going to be uh, holding that off just for a couple more weeks. And then we're going to be coming back around to the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. Just wanted to make sure I threw that out there, letting our live stream family uh, know that I did not forget about it. I did not overlook it. I recognize it, but I want to make sure that whenever we tackle uh, this topic and we talk about it, that like I said, we have an opportunity to pray with you, to answer any questions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you may have so that we can do that in person. I look forward to that and I hope you do too. Today we're going to be concluding our series on the Beatitudes. Um, One of the cool things that I've been talking to our our digital media team about is the fact that God's timing is always better than ours. Amen, church? God's timing is always better than ours. And we're finishing up this series, and obviously our culture right now um, can be defined in a lot of ways, but being at peace is not one of those. Uh, Our culture is understandably very upset right now. There's a lot of different things that are happening in cities all across our nation. And I understand that, but I want to just talk about how cool God's timing is. Today, we're concluding our series and the Beatitudes. And the last Beatitude that we have to talk about here today is blessed are the peacemakers. And this timing is so cool because we're not only talking about peacemaking at this time, but a couple weeks ago, we uh, took a break in the midst of uh, Mother's Day so that Kate Lydig could bring an awesome message for us. And in spite of that break, it just so happens that today, in the midst of what our nation is going through, we're talking about the topic of being peacemakers. I want to conclude this series, uh, just want to reiterate the Beatitudes are attitudes that position us in a, uh, in a way to receive God's blessing. Here's the deal. When you and I are obedient to the word of God, there's blessings that come with that. I don't mean to talk about a prosperity message. That's not the goal of the Beatitudes. But we acknowledge that God's blessing often follows those who are obedient. And God calls us to not only acknowledge these attitudes, but to grow in them. And these attitudes aren't taught in an in a unrelated manner, but they're taught in a chain just 
like how a chain link links to another chain, he teaches them in this manner. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, The first set of Beatitudes talks about the condition of our heart. The second set pertains to teaching about our relationship with the Lord. And the final grouping, which we're talking about today, teaches about our relationship to others. Jesus, so uh, intellectually uh, wise, taught us that it, it goes in this manner, this progressive manner, condition of the heart, our relationship with the Lord, and our relationship with the others. The word blessed means to experience joyful contentment or inner spiritual state of fulfillment. And I don't know about you, but I recognize that this is much needed in our culture today. An inner state of joy, an inner state of peaceful contentment. Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, which is where we're going to be uh, spending a majority of our time today, says this. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we recognize once again the stirring in our culture. But Father, we also recognize that you are the answer. You're the answer to anything that ever happens in politics. You're the answer to any questions that we have in this nation. You're the answer to everything, Lord Jesus. A relationship with Jesus Christ is ultimately the answer to many of our issues. So, Father, we just pray that this would be a time that would lead us to healing, that would lead us to a united nation, that would lead us to building bridges into one another's lives. And ultimately, Lord Jesus, we pray that this season that our nation is going through would lead to peace. Why? Because we have those who did not have peace find peace in the relationship with Jesus Christ. So, Father, we just turn to you and submit not only ourselves, but our nation as a whole into your hands, recognizing this principle that you are the only one who could ever bring us peace. So, Lord Jesus, we yield to you. We ask that your hand would be upon the brokenhearted right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I'm going to be discussing peacemaking as a whole, but I want to be clear that I'm not going to be discussing peacemaking in broken relationships. If you have some difficulties in friendships or whatever it may be, I want to encourage you to go back into our archives because a couple months ago, we talked specifically about conflict resolution. And in this series, we specifically talked about healing broken relationships, how to make peace in broken relationships. So I just want to say we're going to be getting to the root of the meaning of this scripture. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? But I'm aware that uh, if you're looking for a topic in relationships, I want to encourage you to go back into our archives from a couple months ago, specifically the series that says conflict resolution. I promise you there's a ton of information there, a ton of truth that's spoken there that can help us in any broken relationships. Today, I want to focus on the main principle of what Jesus was discussing when he said those profound words, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. What did he mean? by this statement? Because we recognize that many of the attitudes that Jesus talks about, uh, friend, they don't come naturally to us. When Jesus is talking about these blessed states, we recognize that it takes the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen, church? It takes the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to grow in these attitudes. And so what did Jesus mean when he said, blessed are the peacemakers? Because although we recognize that he was talking about broken relationships on one level, there was a deeper truth that Jesus was talking about 
about. And ultimately, this is what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He was saying this, the only way that you and I can know true peace is to know Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. The only way that you and I can lead others into peace is to introduce others to Jesus. Peace is the byproduct of knowing and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Although he was talking about, yes, having healthy relationships, and there's plenty of other scriptures that we can turn to where Jesus dives in and talks about if a brother or sister has offended you, you go to them. We recognize that. But at the heart of what Jesus was saying here, as he said, you want to be a peacemaker? You want to bring peace to the world? Introduce others who don't know me to know me because they'll unintentionally find peace when they come to know me. The only way to know true peace is to know Jesus. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that one more time. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we therefore have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what this scripture means to us. The feeling of peace is the byproduct of the fact that you and I have entered into a restored relationship with God. Emphasis on the restored. We went from a broken relationship with God where we knew no truth, where we behaved in sinful manners and brokenness, and our brokenness led us to more brokenness. Come on, somebody. And we were lost. We were not found. But now that has been restored. And through the restored relationship with Jesus Christ, we experience peace. Well, some of you might be saying, well, pastor, uh, how, do you, how are you so confident in saying that I will find peace if I come to know Jesus? Here's why. Peace comes with this relationship because we have been forgiven and therefore escape an eternal damnation in hell. That should be enough for us to celebrate. As a matter of fact, I recognize that today we have our prayer team uh, in, in the room with us and as well as our digital media team. And I'm going to give our digital media team and prayer team some permission to holler back because I cannot stand to continue to preach messages and hear silence. And if you're joining us on live stream, just go ahead and put the emoji of clapping hands. We'll get it. Peace comes with a relationship of knowing that you and I have been restored, that because of the blood of the Savior, you and I are now looked at as clean. Peace comes with that. Peace comes with knowing that you and I have found our life's purpose. Many scholars, since the dawning of, of, of the first uh, sunrise, since the beginning of time, there have been scholars who have asked the question, these profound questions, is there life after death and why on earth am I here? And we have Jesus giving us the reason. It leads us to peace. When you and I find our purpose in life, we can't help but know that we have peace. Why? Because peace is also the byproduct of knowing your God-given purpose. We are now conscious of God's love through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's kind of like, have you ever had one of those friends who they're, they're that kind of friend that calls you out whenever you do something stupid? Come on, somebody. I know I grew up with many of them. Anytime that I was about to do something foolish, anytime that I was about to do something that could bring harm to others, I had a few select friends who would speak up and say, hey, Ginger, you need to calm down a little bit. When you and I are about to do something foolish, we have this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and says, you know what, that way is going to lead you to brokenness, but follow me and I'll lead you in a way that leads to peace. 
I'm confident that you and I will experience peace and relationship with Jesus Christ because of not only what I've listed, but also these following things. We have obtained access to the presence of God like we've never experienced before. When you and I enter into this relationship with Jesus, I just, the, the psalmist David in, in his writings of how he longs to be in the presence of his God become that much more real to me. When you and I enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit who's making us aware of the presence of God. And there's this continual flow happening between us. Absolutely. But you and I are now aware of the presence of God like we've never experienced before. And therefore, that scripture where Jesus says, how I long to be in the courts of my God, how I long to be in his presence, we start to understand that. Why? Because our heart begins to shift from hungering for things of this world to hungering from things of God. And friend, when that happens, the byproduct of peace comes with it. It's kind of like being allowed to walk into a king's chambers. When you and I enter this relationship with God, it gives us access to the king. Now, you must understand that in biblical times, when somebody approached the king's chambers, first off, there were many levels of, we'll just call it security, that you had to go through to even come close to the king's chambers. You had to be looked at as worthy. You had to be looked at as making sure that you had a purpose for being there. And if you so happen to make it that far in the process, just imagine this beautifully protected room, most often an open air room, but nevertheless, this place that was guarded, heavily guarded and had the most beautiful furnishings you could ever imagine. Everything in the room spoke majesty and honor. And when you made it into this room and past these levels of, of, of soldiers who were standing guard, you had to understand that if you came with, with some kind of need that the king didn't see is fit, is, is worthy, you were put to death. Entering into the king's courts was no minuscule thing. Entering into the king's courts meant that you had to have, you had to have favor. You had, I mean, I cannot stress this enough that it was a place of honor. It was a place that was highly regarded. When you and I enter into a relationship with Jesus, we've not only been given access to the king's courts, but he looks at us and calls us his son and daughter and takes it one step further and prepares a place for us in his presence. Peace comes with knowing that the king of kings not only gives me favor, but he likes me. We look at God and we think that he's mad at us, but we forget that he's not mad at us. He's mad about us. We often have these cartoons and these depictions of, of God who just kind of sits there and he's like, what can I hit the world with today? Oh, I'm going to give him a plague. And friend, that is not the God that I serve. That's not how this Bible describes him. This Bible says that even in Old Testament that he's for me, not against me. In the New Testament, I can, I can sit here all day long and talk about the, 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 the scriptures that just talk about how God wants a relationship with us, and we haven't been aware of it, but he's been pursuing us since the day of our existence, and even before then, he had plans for us. God loves you. You and I have not only been given favor to come into his presence, but he's made this a place for us to dwell with him. God's not mad at you. No. He's mad about you. Here's why this point is so imperative, friend. 
We cannot bring peace, the peace of Jesus to others until we have experienced it and carry it with us. I'm going to say that one more time. We cannot bring the peace of Jesus to others until we have experienced it and carry his presence with us. You know that you're a carrier. You're a carrier of presence. When I walk in my home and I'm angry, my daughter, I don't even have to say a word, but my daughter is kind of timid towards me. Why? Because she senses that I'm carrying an angry presence. When I come home and I'm kind of laughing and goofing with her, my daughter reacts to me differently. Why? Because even my three-year-old is aware that I carry a presence about me. So when you and I are aware of the presence that we carry, that we carry the presence of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' presence, friend, your children experience it, yes, but also those around you. You and I must lead others. If we want to lead others to peace, we have to lead them to Jesus and carry his presence with us. Come on, somebody. We can't reach others with peace until you and I have spent time in his presence. We've spent time in his peace. That we've dwelled in his presence because in his presence there is peace. Until you and I are remaining in his presence and carrying his presence with us, we can't lead others into it. I mean, how, uh, how hypocritical is it if you and I go up to somebody and we have this angry presence about us and we're just frustrated about all the world problems around us and we say, you know what you need? You need peace. Come on now. That's not how it's done. But when we become carriers of his presence and we're carrying his peace with us, people are that much more inept to listen to us. Come on, somebody. The only way to introduce somebody to true peace is to introduce them to the king of peace, Jesus. To be a peacemaker is to not only reconcile relationships, but friend, make no mistake, the heart of this statement on what it means to be a peacemaker is to bring people into the peace of knowing Jesus. It's what you and I are called to do. Evangelism is a topic that we've been, we've been kind of silent on as the church in the United States of America, and I don't think that you and I can look at the culture and get mad at them when we haven't done our job first. If we want to be peacemakers, making peace in the world around us, you and I must have evangelism in our hearts, which means introducing others to Jesus. Too many Christians want to fix the world around us by having self-help books. Too many Christians around us want to wait to share about the message of peace, of knowing Jesus until, oh, pastor, I'm just waiting for the right time. Friend, can I tell you that scripture tells us to speak truth. It doesn't say to wait till the right time. And I understand that there's some times that are better than others. And I don't mean to come across as harsh this morning, but my point is, is we have used uh, waiting for the right time as a license to excuse us from the responsibility that we are called to, which is sharing the gospel. Romans 10, 4 says this, how then can they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear, here it is, friend, how are they to hear without someone preaching? You and I are called to preach truth. We keep thinking that if we get the world to just act good, then they will be good. But we neglect the fact that the world doesn't need to be good. They need Jesus. Being good is the byproduct of knowing him. So I want to challenge you today, before we move on to the next beatitude, share your story. Obviously, social media right now, I mean, I get on social media and it weighs on me, friend. 
I just told my wife before leaving the house this morning, I said, you know, I think I'm going to fast social media. And she said, for how long? I said, for the next couple years. So much hate, so much anger, so much bitterness. I want to challenge the church during this time to share your story. Here's what sharing your story looks like. I dare you to do this. Film a two to five minute video of your testimony and post it. Who you were before you came to know Jesus, how you came to know Jesus, and who you are now that you know him. Those three things, that's your testimony. Who you were before you knew Jesus, how you came to know Jesus, and who you are now that you know him. Because here's the reality is people can debate us all day long on what we believe, but when you've experienced the peace of Jesus for yourself, nobody can take that away from you. So I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, share your story. Why? Because nobody can sit there and tell you, you didn't experience that. I did. So I want to encourage you, share your testimony. Here's the reality though, which leads me to the next beatitude, is you begin to share your story. As you begin to talk about what Jesus has done in your life and through your life, here's the reality of the situation is Satan becomes very irritated and threatened by you. Satan isn't intimidated by a Christian who remains silent. Satan isn't intimidated by a church that hears the word. He's intimidated by a church that does the word. But I don't believe that Satan is intimidated by a church who hears the word. He gets terrified when you act on it. Here's also the other reality is, Satan isn't threatened by a church that, uh, that doesn't pray. If you're not praying and you're remaining silent, then he has nothing to fear or worry about. But Satan is terrified by a church that prays. He is terrified by a church that is obedient to the word of God. And I want you to understand that when you and I begin to share the story of what Jesus has done in and through our life, we are not only being hearers of the word, but as in the book of James, as he says, we're, we're being doers of the word. And so I just want to encourage you. And I also want to give you a heads up that when you begin to share the story of what Jesus has done in your life and through your life, you're going to become a threat and Satan's going to put a bullseye on your back. Why? Because before you, you weren't sharing your story of, of Jesus. Therefore, you're not a threat, but now you are. Which leads me to my next point. One of the things that Satan does in an attempt to silence the church is Satan pushes for the persecution of the church. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's one of the realities that you and I don't see or hear enough about. Christianity is the most persecuted group of people in all of history. Christianity is the most persecuted, I hate calling it this, religion of all of history. About 70 million Christians have died for their faith. A little more than half, which means 35 million, have died in just the past hundred years. Keep in mind that this is not including statistics about imprisonment, death threats, beatings, torture, and so on and so forth. As a matter of fact, more than a hundred million Christians in the past few years have experienced this kind of persecution for their faith. Imprisonment, beatings, 
so on and so forth. As a matter of fact, persecution is so serious among Christians today is that every 10 minutes, two Christians have died for their faith. And this statistic has stood to be true over the past decade. Every 10 minutes, two Christians are put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. So what can we do about it, Pastor? What do we do about persecution of the church? First is this, stay informed. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 says this, uh, remember those in prison. Remember those who are persecuted. Stay informed. Secondly, pray. For persecutors to be reached and strength for those experiencing persecution. Pray. I've heard it once that prayer is the oxygen to the fire of our faith. Pray. Thirdly, give. One of the awesome resources that we have as an Assemblies of God affiliated church is AG World Missions, which is constantly starting up uh, missions projects in other quote-unquote closed countries. I want to encourage you, stay informed, pray, and give to the cause. That's how we can handle the persecution of the church at large and around the world. But I want to make this point as we head to, to a, a close this morning. In America, we are not experiencing persecution. We are experiencing pressure. The reason why I say that is because there's friends of mine who are currently missionaries in third world countries, and I can't give the names of them or the location in which they are uh, currently serving. But missionary friends told me a story of a conversation that they had to have with their kids just a couple months ago, where they gather their kids in the living room, And they began to teach their kids that if people storm into their household in the middle of the night and begin to hurt mom and dad, don't worry, Jesus will come through. They teach their kids that if mom and dad are taken or in prison, they give them a backup plan on where to run in case mom and dad are taken for their belief in Jesus Christ. They also have to have discussions and trainings with their kids as to what would happen if their kids are being hurt in front of them in order to get mom and dad to denounce their faith in Jesus Christ. You and I are not persecuted. We have not had to have these conversations with our children. You and I face pressure. And friend, I feel arrogant as a spoiled American to even claim that I am persecuted when brothers and sisters in our faith in other countries are being beheaded and put to death for theirs. You and I are facing pressure. We are not facing persecution. Well, pastor, what are we receiving pressure for? To remain silent. The church in America is currently facing pressure to not speak truth. Why? Because truth is now being labeled as the new hate speech. We're facing pressure to change or update God's word to fit our narrative rather than heeding to his word. We're being told to keep silent in regards to what a God-ordained marriage looks like. We're being told to remain silent when there's innocent children being put to death before they even have a chance to speak for themselves. The church is facing pressure to conform to cultural standards rather than abide by biblical ones. We're experiencing social pressure. 
For example, Christian bachelor parties often look different than the world's version of bachelor parties. We're facing pressure to when uh, an adult turns 21, we're facing pressure to act and do things in a certain manner, to live up the best life that we can because life is temporary. We're facing pressure socially. We're facing pressure in abstaining from certain things until marriage. We're facing pressure in the workplace and in the blue-collar or corporate workplace to cheat, lie, take, or take the low road in order to get ahead and benefit oneself. We're facing pressure, and the list goes on and on, of what the church is facing pressure. And friend, uh, don't, don't get me wrong, facing pressure is difficult. I understand that. But make no mistake, although we're not facing persecution, we are most certainly facing pressure. So we discussed persecution, but let's discuss for a few closing moments how we handle pressure. First is this, do not conform to the world. Don't conform to the world for the sake of trying to build a bridge. Too many Christians right now are laying down the word of God with a, with a license of saying, but I'm just trying to align myself with them, so I'm agreeing with them not in God's word. Well, for the sake of not offending them, I'm going to change my position on the matter. Friend, this isn't biblical. The Bible says that we have to stay steadfast in his word. And friend, can I tell you that this does not need updated. It doesn't need reworded. It doesn't need edited. But in its current form, it is just perfect. If I had to say one thing in regards to pressure and how the church can handle it in today's time, first I want to say this, that we can have unity without uniformity. We can have unity with somebody and disagree with them. We can have unity without conforming to their standard. But most importantly, I would say this, anticipate pressure and prepare for it. One of the things that we often fall victim to as a church in America is you and I are constantly being made aware of new information, but we're doing nothing about it. So friend, I mean this in the truest form, anticipate the pressure. You've just been made known about persecution statistics and the pressures that we're facing in the church of the United States. All it takes is 10 minutes of the news media. And it is so self-evident that the church is under attack. And I acknowledge that and we are facing pressure. So friend, don't just be aware of it, but prepare for it. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. The worst thing to th is to think it won't happen and to sit back and do nothing and more so importantly, look at our kids and not prepare them for it. So in order to anticipate pressure and prepare for pressure, I say this, know what you believe and why you believe it. Make it a point to study what you believe, know what you believe, but also know why you believe it. There's recently a Christian artist that I've been following since I was a teenager who recently made a public announcement that he's walking away from his faith. 
This man had close to 60,000 people who follow his social media pages who are under his influence. And here he is publicly stating why he no longer follows Jesus Christ. And I read his reasons why, and it was so heartbreaking because the reasons why he was walking away from the faith, I just look and say, oh my goodness, all this would have taken is 10 minutes, a 10 minute conversation with somebody who knew what they believed and why they believe it. It is imperative that we as the church prepare, that we guard our doctrine as Scripture says. Scripture says to guard your doctrine because it determines other people's eternity. Why does the Bible say that? Because you have influence. And when you and I start abiding by and following a sinful doctrine, others will follow. Know why, what you believe and why you believe it. I also want to make this statement that Sunday sermons cannot be 75% of our relationship with Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. Our relationship with Jesus needs to be more than Sunday morning services. In order to help our church grow stronger as we come out of this COVID era, one of the things that we're going to be looking to do come fall time is starting up small groups. Small groups revolved around the topics of apologetics, which means the defense of our faith, knowing what we believe and why we believe it. Friends, we've got to do better. We've got to do better than just attending church twice, maybe three times a month and and thinking that that's enough because when the battle comes to your front door spiritually, you're going to wish that you had put more in. Here's some benefits of pressure. Challenge doctrinally leads to doctrine study. Irritation often breeds intercession. The positive of pressure is that historically, anytime there's been irritation from culture upon the church, it has led to the church intercessing through prayer, which has ultimately led to revivals. May it be done. Another positive of pressure is opposition breeds growth. The Bible says that pain breeds perseverance. Faith must be tested in order to have a higher level of faith. It must be tested. I'm reminded of Peter getting out of the boat. That's a sermon for another day. Having a higher or renewed level of faith requires risk, and risk is often the result of opposition. As we close, I want to say this. Take a stand. Too long the church has remained silent for the concern of, Pastor, I don't want to offend somebody. Can I tell you that in today's era, truth is offensive. There's a difference between offending somebody and what you have to say and how you say it, and I acknowledge that. But remaining silent is no longer an option. Take a stand. Stand on God's truth. Pressure inevitably leads to closeness with Jesus. Not only does he promise to be near to the brokenhearted, we catch a minuscule, minuscule glimpse of the pressure that Jesus faced when we are faced with pressure. You and I will have a new, refined appreciation for the pressure that Jesus faced. I mean, my goodness, we're facing pressure from people, you know, saying don't speak truth. Imagine during Jesus' time when he was performing signs, wonders, and miracles, and yet the Pharisees were still pointing at him, calling him out, and he had to defend himself. 
You and I align, our hearts align with what he went through because we have a new appreciation for what he went through when we face something like what he went through. As we close, start preparing yourself for the battle, not during it. I'm going to say that one more time. There is a spiritual battle that is happening right now. The worst thing that we can do is run into the battle head first without ever preparing for it. Put on the armor of God. Would you bow your head with me as we close out in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that your word, as I paraphrase, says, if I've called you to it, I'll call you and get you through it. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we don't face this battle alone, but we have the empowerment of your Holy Spirit not standing behind us either, but with us and ahead of us preparing the way. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we have this manual, the Word of God. And your manual gives us the standard by which we should live our lives by. Lord, we thank you so much that you didn't just leave us and abandon us and say, well, I hope you make it, but you said, I'm going to send my spirit, my helper. God, I pray that during this time, as your church gathers back together in physical form, Lord, I pray for a refire. God, I ask you to rekindle, rekindle that fire, that passion for you. God, I pray that there would be a sound that comes out of every church in America, the sound of repentance, the sound of submission, the sound of obedience to your word, the sound of saying, yes, I will. For such a time as this, Lord Jesus, I will proclaim truth. I will reach those recognizing that the only way to bring peace to the world around us is to introduce them to the one who laid his life down for it. Father, I pray that we would no longer shy away from the battle, but Lord, as we equip ourselves with the full armor of God, that we would run, Lord, that we would run to the battle line and say, Satan, you cannot cross this line any longer. Holy Spirit, anoint your church. God, I pray that hearts would begin to open up, that walls that we've built up, walls of insecurity and fear would be shattered and brought down in Jesus' name. That as your church gathers together, may our hearts be fertile ground for your Holy Spirit to not only reside, but for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to occur. Now, Father, once again, we recognize the brokenness in our world. We recognize that the odds are stacked against us. But we recognize that this moment is what your spirit was made for. That when the odds are against us, when we're facing persecution in other parts of the country and we're facing pressure, it is moments like this when your Holy Spirit moves the most. So we not only recognize that truth, but we say, come Holy Spirit, come and have your way. May the bride of Christ... Be ready to receive your spirit, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we ask this. And everybody said, Amen. Hey, Mike, I feel like I feel like asking you to stop would just kind of ruin the 
what we got going. So you just keep doing your thing as I announce some of the plan for reopening the church. Just want to make you aware that um, within the next couple of weeks, we're going to be sending out a newsletter reminding of what's spoken here today in regards to what reopening the church looks like. And we're also going to be sending out specifics as far as uh, precautions that we'll be taking as a church and uh, volunteers. If you haven't gotten a phone call from your ministry leader yet, I want to just say uh, two things. One, if you don't hear from us in the next couple of days, please reach out to us. There must be, uh, we must have the wrong communication as far as uh, a number on file or something along those lines. And uh, secondly, uh, our leaders will be in touch as we're going through our list, gathering the body of Christ together to make sure that our programs can uh, operate in a healthy way. So here it is, friends. June 4th, our weekly programs and Bible studies will be resuming. Um, After June 4th, there's a Thursday evening Bible study that will be taking place. There's going to be some things that are changing. For example, uh, Jack, who is currently heading up our names of of, uh, God, uh, he's going through the Bible and listing the names of God. And um, his program that meets here on Thursdays is now going to be meeting up here in the sanctuary so that we can spread out a little bit more. So be aware that our Bible studies are going to be resuming. They just mean maybe a little bit different. Prayer meeting will be resuming on Wednesdays. We will operate exclusively with our weekly Bible studies and uh, programs for two weeks before we reopen our Sunday services. Not only do we want to get uh, functioning on smaller levels within our Bible studies and prayer meetings, but we also need just a couple weeks to herd everybody in, to get our volunteer basis back, and uh, have everybody uh, working in the same manner off of the uh, same standard as well. So be aware that from June 4th until June 14th, just our weekly programs are going to be meeting and not our Sunday services. But I do just want to say that if you show up at the door and demand to be let in on a Sunday morning, I just might let that happen. That's off the record, by the way. June 14th will be our first Sunday back. Two services. uh, In order to spread out our numbers, we're going to be having two Sunday morning services so that we can meet CDC recommendations. First service will happen at 10 a.m. and will cater to at-risk groups. That means that there will not be any child care provided. We will be taking extra precautions such as having every other row blocked off so that families can sit in their own rows. We'll be spreading out a little bit more. Uh, We will be limiting our in-person contact. So what that looks like is we're not going to be passing around the the offering bags. We're going to have an offering box so that as you come in, you can drop off your weekly tie there. Um, Our greeters are going to be happy. They're going to be here for second service, but um, they're just going to be handing a bullet and we're not going to be shaking hands or hugging any necks just yet. That day's coming though. Second service will happen at 11:30 a.m. and will be catered more to families. For example, child care will be provided for second service. I also want to reach out that uh, our child care, our kids ministry area is looking for some more volunteers. So if that's something that you say, I would love to be able to help with this, please contact John Burrington or call the church number so that we can add you to the list of our volunteers for our kids ministry uh, program after you've gone through the uh, uh, safety precautions and making sure that clearances are in and so on and so forth. 
Just want to reiterate that precautions will be in place as we reopen, as I've already mentioned, blocking off every other row, limiting contacts such as our in-service meet and greet time, having an offering box rather than bags being passed around and so on and so forth. Going to two services is not a long-term plan. It is a temporary plan that is set in place. Most likely we will be uh, having this standard in place of two services until our county goes from yellow to green. Once we go into the green stage, we'll be going back to a single service. But in the meantime, two services, one at 10 a.m. catered towards at-risk categories, extra, extra safety precautions will be in place, and one happening at 11.30 a.m. catered to families where our health and safety precautions will be a little bit more relaxed. Although we recognize that religious organizations are not required to follow the state recommendations, we will be following CDC guidelines as best we can in order to represent to our community that we care about them and we are conscious of the health uh, health issues at hand. Our kids department will be following CDC recommendations, uh, which will be equivocated to daycare centers. So essentially what that means is whatever the state says, hey, daycare centers, we want you following these guidelines. Our kids ministry area is going to try our best to follow those guidelines as well. Once again, specifics for this plan, as well as us publishing it on our social media and website will be happening in the next couple days. Um, Obviously, this is tentative. As you know, COVID has changed not every day, but in between morning and evening, there's new details or details are redone, reworded, whatever it may be. So please understand that this is our plan for now. We're planning on moving forward with this, reiterating June 4th, our weekly Bible studies prayer group in uh, small groups will be meeting, such as men's ministry, women's ministry. We're going to operate with those weekly programs for two weeks, but come June 14th, that will be our first Sunday back with two different services, one at 10 a.m. for at-risk categories and one at 11.30 a.m. catered more towards families. If you have any questions or concerns about this, please feel free to call the church number or email me. Off, uh, my email is provided on our church website as well as any other contact information that you may need. I want to, read a, re, want to reiterate one more time before we conclude this morning's service that if you have not heard from a ministry leader yet, please feel free to reach out to them. Ask them if you are one of the volunteers or attendants of that program for some details because every department is going to look different as far as what health standards we're abiding by. For example, the kids standards for health and safety precautions is going to look a lot different than what our adult program. So please make sure that you are reaching out to our ministry leaders and asking them what the plan is and the standard is for that specific ministry. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at c3lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.